This episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast, is brought to you in partnership with Thermo Fisher Scientific. Thermo Fisher's cell therapy processing instruments are designed to help customers transition from process development to commercial manufacturing, utilized as standalone devices or integrated as part of a closed modular process. Thermo Fisher Scientific recommends Gibco CTS DynaSelect Magnetic Separation System, which is a next-gen cell isolation and activation instrument. Gibco CTS Xenon Electroporation System allows customers full control to optimize for a variety of cell types and payloads. And Gibco CTS Rotea Counterflow Centrifugation System is a closed cell processing system supporting a broad range of protocols for cell separation, washing, and concentration. Customers can rely on and streamline their drug development process with Applied Biosystems Qualtrac qPCR and dPCR quality control tools for robust and reliable genetic analysis across various phases of drug development, supported by relevant, compliant documentation. listeners, and welcome to this episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast. I'm your host, Erin Harris, and I'm recording this episode from ARMS 2023, meeting on the Mesa. I'm excited to be with my guest in person, Richard Wilson, Senior Vice President, Primary Focus Lead, Genetic Regulation at Estellas is with me. Richard, thank you for your time today. It's so good to have you here. Thanks so much, Erin. It's a pleasure. Good, good. This is such a treat to be with my guest in person to record a podcast. I'm very excited, <laughs> and especially meeting on the Mesa, so it's a lot of fun. Um, all right, so uh, still Estellas in general, but you um, have talked a lot about your ambitions to build a world-class gene therapy infrastructure. So talk to us a little bit about how you're delivering on that since Estellas acquired a dentist back in 2020. That's a great question, Aaron. I, I, I might pull us back a little bit and say, you know, overall, the, the ambition for gene therapy in Estellas is to really create this and and you know, business unit, we, we see that there's just so much potential in the field of gene therapy. Mm-hmm. But the, the big gap, if you will, to us seems to be in how do we really go from sort of like a central dogma of drug development where we have these ideas that are transduced into small companies. They then that transcribed into like the mRNA of late non-clinical and early clinical data. But then we have to translate that into the, the protein of products. And we think you really need that scale to get to that last step, that, that, that trans, the, trans, uh, the transcription of the, uh, the potential into marketed product is really where we're going to make the biggest impact to patients. So that, that's really where, you know, we, we want to be that end-to-end organization. And I don't think that should be interpreted as saying we, we're a closed shop. You know, I think partnering is probably a theme we'll, we'll touch on a few times. And it's just incredibly important as, as we look about, you know, what, what's going on around meeting in the Mesa, the number of opportunities to learn about what's going on, um, you know, who's, who's doing what and, and where we want to play. But to, to, to get your question... I'd say there's really three things that, that we're focused on. It, it's really a platform, a pipeline, and, and, to, and also our people. Um, I'll, I'll go in that order. So I'd say our platform, we're, we're an AAV-focused gene therapy unit within Astellas. Um, that means we're, we're really building on a lot of the work that was done within Audentis. Um, research in Astellas started in the early 2010s, actually. So predates, the Astellas gene therapy idea predates the Audentis acquisition. But that was a real 
step function, I think, in capability build out. At the same time, you know, we, we, we've got that, that ground, that, that, that basis of the AAV platform. We're looking to make the most of that and really apply that to as many important unmet needs as we can. Um, we've built out infrastructure now. So we've, we've recently opened last year our own GMP manufacturing facility is 135,000 square feet out in Sanford, North Carolina. That's on stream and that's ready to support our growing pipeline and also help work with our partners. We're also looking at what technologies will help us get to the next stage. So we're probably talking a little bit about maybe some of the partnerships that we've been looked at where we've specifically been trying to find not just how do we take advantage of the, the technology we have in front of us today, but where are things like capsid engineering going? How do we think about genetic regulation more broadly? You know, mix, mixing and matching the different technologies is, is far from a settled thing, I think, in gene therapy. Right. Pipeline, we've, we've, we've been continuing to grow and leverage the expertise we have in research to bring new programs through organically. We've also looked strategically to think about when can we work with other companies to help augment our pipeline and take advantage of the capacity that we're building out. You know, a couple of examples here would be the licensing agreement did with Kate Therapeutics in X-Link Myotubular Myopathy, and also the uh, agreement we had with Tasha Gene Therapies to make an investment and get a couple of option agreements. We, we currently still have the option agreement around their Rett Syndrome program. Um, and we're looking to build out from an initial base in neuromuscular disease. We're doing more and more in CNS diseases. We're also looking at metabolic and, and we've got a, a fairly active effort in ophthalmology as well. So, you know, the pipeline is growing. And I think people is probably the most important of all. I think that one of the things that's really interesting going through uh, an acquisition integration as we have is how critically important it is to try and work out which parts of the culture you have to conserve mm -hmm. and which parts you want to grow. You know, Estellus Gene Therapies is not just Audentas with a new name above the door. It truly is a new thing. We're, we're over two times the size of the organization that Audentas was. Um, and yet we're, we're still being very strategic and thoughtful about how we add the expertise we need to match the growing pipeline in our clinical development team. We've got a, a, a compact commercial group that's also growing in anticipation of getting ready for our first launch. So it's really making those platform pipeline and people investments that we think will help us live up to that ambition of being an end-to-end -end yeah. gene therapy powerhouse. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think certainly from the people perspective, we hear that a lot about um, obviously having the right skill set under your roof, but also the right, um, the right humanity behind it, the right values and characteristics, and that's going to all drive you forward and help the patient in the end at the end of the day. So agree 100%. Um, I want to look, talk a little bit broadly about, um, you know, you mentioned caps and engineering. So that's something that we've been covering a lot more on cell and gene anyway. So probably a, a, a whole other podcast, mm -hmm. but for now, um, but why I bring that up is because I want to talk a little bit about what you are excited to see in the next, say, 12 to 18 months or so in, in gene therapy in general. Like, where do you see it going? What are you excited about? Uh, just in, in the sector as, as a whole? Oh, thanks. That's a, that's a great and a very broad question. It is, uh, yeah. <laughs> intentionally, I'm sure. Um, I, I think 
One thing that jumps out to me is thinking back to that central dogma concept and thinking about that translation piece. I'm really looking forward to seeing what meaningful clinical data we'll see come out in the next 12 to 18 months. You know, just walking the hallways here and Mm -hmm. whether it's in the upper level where all the public stuff is going on or down in the lower level where all the, you know, speed dating BD discussions are happening. There's just a ton of really interesting things happening in this field. You know, I think we should be expecting to hear data in, you know, some really important diseases such as, you know, dementia, Parkinson's. There's a range of cardiovascular trials that are going to start to show some efficacy in various forms of cardiomyopathy, such as Friedrich's ataxia-related cardiomyopathy. Um, You know, I I think we're going to see more and more of that you know, translated protein air quotes showing up that will be really important to help define, you know, where is the field going? At the same time, coming after that will obviously be where are we going with approvals? And I think, you know, so far, fingers crossed, 23 has been a a strong year. You know, thinking about the the, the three main gene therapy approvals we've seen so far and, you know, fingers crossed for sickle cell coming up. Um, but I, but I think seeing that steady stream of approvals is going to be important. And, and then beyond that, really keeping an eye on what happens with global launches. And, and that's not just a dollar figure question. That's really an access question. As I think we all, we all see really clearly that gene therapy technically is very difficult, but operationalizing that and getting that to patients is also incredibly difficult. Not just the approval, but... All those payer discussions dealing with the different requirements and different uh, global uh, healthcare systems. You know, we really need to see that as a field and as a sector, we're starting to solve that problem more regularly. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that monitoring the launches of products like Elividus, you know, does, does Sarepta get and, and Roche, their partner in Europe, get that approval? Where does, where does Biomarin go with the Roctavian launch trajectory? You know, I think those things are going to be equally important. And then the last thing I think is just keeping an eye on the FDA and and the regulators. I mean, kudos to Peter Marks for, you know, just the the, the regular tenacity of his championing of the field and how we have to think differently. I'm really excited with the creation of the OTP and, you know, Nicole Verdun's leadership coming in. And, you know, we've just seen, you know, several of us were probably reading this on the plane down the, the publication of the START initiative and thinking, you know, well, how's that going to work? Who's going to make the cut? How will this, you know, operation warp speed for rare disease and gene therapies actually work in practice? So I think there's a lot to be interested in and excited about. But, you know, it's going to. This time next year, we'll probably have a whole new load of things to, to discuss. Right. On top of what we just what you just mentioned right now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's in, but you know what? It's it's all good. And also, you know, movement in the right direction. So we'll certainly take it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, you, you know, we, we know Estelle has acquired a dentist back in 2020. And I want to talk a little bit more broadly about that. You know, what are your perspectives on the gene therapy deal making landscape right now? And then. In addition to that, talk to us a little bit about Estellus's recent deals and collaborations. Sure, it's I mean it's an it's a really interesting time. You know, it's an interesting time acknowledging that for larger companies it probably is a a little um, I wouldn't say less stressful. It's incredibly busy, 
Um, but, you know, I think it's a very tough time to be an independent biotech right now, especially in gene therapy. I think we're, we're at one of the lower points on that Gartner hype cycle, I think, where we had the exuberance of the early 2020s that's given way to a kind of equal and opposite overreaction to the field. I think a lot of us feel that right now gene therapy um, especially in the AAV field, is is probably being way undervalued, you know, in all senses of the word value, uh, of what it really will deliver for for us and for patients over time. So I, I think that is influencing deal making. You know, I think the capital markets have dried up. It's incredibly hard if you're that independent company to go out and raise if you don't have data. And I think that that threshold for data has now been reset. You know, a few years back, we were seeing a lot of preclinical deals being done on the promise of what would surely translate into, you know, impressive clinical efficacy. Now, I think we're, we're really seeing that being reset to clinical data. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of deals are being done around, you know, clinical proof of concepts or, or you know, getting, getting the certainty that we're seeing these effects translate into humans. Um, and it's also pushing more creative deals. You know, I mentioned our, our arrangement with Tasha, where we, we created an option deal to, um, in exchange for an investment in, in the organization. And I think that kind of model is incredibly helpful because it can help, you know, the biotech partner stay afloat and, and bridge to generating data. And it allows the larger companies to kind of dip a toe in and, and get some exposure and, and get closer to the, the programs without the full-on commitment that we used to have of saying, you know, let's go and do a major transaction, you know, in, in the preclinical space. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think deal-making is still very active. Um, it, it just looks and feels different than it did two years ago. Um, everyone's waiting for big M&A, you know, and, you know, if we had a crystal ball, we'd, we'd all be rich by now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I sense that when you look at all the analysts' reports and, and where the people who are tracking the markets um, are, are, are looking. It, it feels as though we're, we're not quite through this yet. You know, we're, we're going to have a continued period of financial austerity and, and we're really going to have to rely on partnerships to see us through. And I think that's, that's really where our, our deal-making mindset has come in. Um, as I said earlier, we, we, don't, we don't view that we can be a closed system. I think if there's one thing that gene therapy teaches us, it's, it's incredibly complex. And, and in the, the, the Rumsfeld two-by-two two matrix, there's so many unknown unknowns here that anyone who thinks they have all the answers is really kidding themselves. You know, you have to be open and willing to partner with anyone who has, you know, the, the right ideas and the right data to, to help move our, our, our field forward collectively. So as we think about deals, I talked a little bit about Tasha. You know, there was another deal we did with Selective Biosciences at the start of the year where we were looking to solve the problem of pre-existing immunity we see in patients with Pompe disease. We know that especially with adults um, who may be candidates for entry into gene therapy trials or ultimately products, they're exposed to uh, AAV in, in the environment. And so, you know, depending on the serotype of AAV, there can be 20, 30 plus percent of patients who would be ruled ineligible for treatment who would otherwise benefit. And so Selector had a really nice technology, their their product Zork, that's an IgG protease that's designed to cleave the the IgG that causes these patients to have uh, antibodies that would reject the the, the gene therapy we're trying to deliver. 
So that was, that was kind of a platform deal we thought was, was a nice fit. And then we, we recently did a deal with 4D Molecular Therapeutics where we we're looking at novel capsids. I think that we see that, you know, capsids are a key part, I think, of where the industry is going. Um, sometimes it's a distribution question. Sometimes it's a dose level question. You know, we saw 4D's technology and thought they had a really nice uh, capsid in, in R100 that we think is going to be really a, a great match for some of the ideas we have in ophthalmology. So, so for us, it's trying to find who are the people who have the right piece of information or the right technologies or the right programs that will complement and help us build out and achieve a kind of joint ambition. Yeah, sure. And I, I wanted to highlight a, a key word you said, which is data, which I think is incredibly important across right. the board in all aspects of what we're trying to do here. So, um, so that's great. Thank you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Estellas's strategic approach to R&D. Can you talk us through that a little bit? And then kind of second part of that question is, you know, within your title is a primary focus lead. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about what that is and what, what primary focus is and what your role is, what your role is at Estellas outline it for us. Thanks. Yeah. No, I, I, I like a chance to, to talk about that. Yeah. Um, We've recently actually reorganized the, the entire R&D organization under the leadership of Naoki Okamura, uh, our CEO, um, around this focus area approach. It's something that Estellas initiated back in, I think, 2018. Um, so it predates the Audentis acquisition. Um, but it, it, it's really, it's a little analogous to therapeutic areas, but it, it's a little different. We've, we've got a, a a kind of a triangle graphic, if you will, of three things that define an individual focus area. There's a clear understanding of disease biology. How does the has the knowledge of the disease, the biology behind the disease, translate to the symptoms and the impacts on patients? How, how good is that knowledge? The second part of that is the modality. So for us in, in genetic regulation, that's the AAV platform. And then the third is how those two things interact to address a major unmet need where we think we can really add value. And that, that means solving a problem that hasn't really been solved, you know, seeing where there are patients who are, you know, not otherwise getting any help in, in dealing with their, their conditions. So we, we try and use that triangle as a lens for each of our focus areas. To date, we have five areas within Astellas. So I lead the genetic regulation area, which is the bulk of our AAV activity. We have another area focused on blindness and regeneration. We have a third on immuno-oncology. We have a fourth on mitochondrial biology. Uh, and relatively recently, we started one looking at targeted protein degraders. So they're fairly diverse in how they look. It's not like we have respiratory and cardiovascular and anti-infectives or, you know, it's it, it's it's a little different than that. And so, you know, that, that's a little bit of a spin from the Estella side on what makes that approach different. Each of these areas has a primary focus lead or a PFL, of which, which I am one. And we actually have, um, under our new operating model, we, we, we each have a primary focus leadership team. That's really looking across the business. So we, we're kind of setting up little mini business units, if you will, within the R&D organization to help harness both the scale of Astellas and the ability to focus in that may look and feel a little bit more like a smaller organization. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, you know, we, we have a, more of a dedicated leadership team that's aligned with that, that primary focus, that focus area approach. 
And we also have the operating budget rolled up under each of those as well. So those of your listeners who are in bigger companies and, and maybe even some of the larger small companies will definitely appreciate the challenge of working across the matrix, trying to think, how do you do that classic maneuver of influencing without authority? If someone else is holding the budget that you really need to access, how do you make sure that you can preserve access to that? those resources, be they human, financial, whatever. And, you know, hats off to Estellas. I think they've done a really nice job at trying to remove some of those unintended conflicts and hopefully make us more operationally efficient and, and ultimately more agile. Yeah, sure. And you're definitely speaking uh, our listeners or at least a certain portion of our listeners' language. So thank you. That's helpful too. Um, Finally, I want to talk a little bit about what you and your team are hoping to learn from this year's meeting on the Mesa. We know we're here, we're in person, we're at the event. Um, what what did you come in looking to learn? What are your key takeaways to date? Because we're not through the whole show yet, but um, what, what do you think so far? Yeah, great question. I mean, it's it's always such a stimulating meeting, I think. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we're, we're looking for a few things here. I think it's always taking a pulse of the sector. You know, it's it's really nice to have this meeting. It's just focused on, well, I mean, focused on cell and gene, like that's one thing, right? right. Whereas in reality, it's about 349 different things mm-hmm. that happen to be under one title. Um, but, but I think taking a pulse is really important. The field is moving so quickly. You know, it, it, it feels very important to kind of intentionally move out of, a, of the the temporary silos of our companies and, and really come together as a, as a sector to learn from one another and hear about the challenges and the opportunities. Um, I think it's a chance to renew connections. Um, I, I joke that, you know, really cell and gene, it's like everyone's one degree of separation. Mm-hmm. It's not six is like, so yesterday, um, you know, everyone's worked with someone else who you happen to know, maybe you work with, or maybe just did a deal with a company that has three of your former employees in, or, you, you know, it's, it's very interconnected. And I think that's actually quite powerful because it, it builds an intrinsic level of trust mm-hmm. that I don't think always happens in other parts of the broader pharma R and D business. And, you know, when, when you're working in these areas like we are, where there are challenges coming up all the time, you know, knowing that there are people you can reach out to and you have a baseline level of trust is incredibly important because no one of us to come back to the theme is smart enough on our own to solve the problems that we need to solve for patients. So I, I think this ability to rebuild the connective tissue across companies and groups is incredibly powerful. Um, and I think as well, it's an opportunity to look into the crystal ball a little bit and say, you know, like like you asked me earlier on, you know, where, where do we think we're going to be in 12 months mm-hmm. and 18 months? And how collectively do we start thinking about this? So, you know, I, I think it's an exciting time. Um, you know, personally, I'm, I'm always interested to hear from, you know, what ARM's vision is going to be. How does that tie up with our regulatory colleagues from the FDA, from, you know, EMA and, you know, where, where we're going with, you know, the global regulatory environment. And of course, paying attention to, to what we hear from the kind of reimbursement side. Mm-hmm. I think the scientific drumbeat is always very loud and, and impressive. Um, but again, coming back to that theme of like, how do we translate that to the protein of products? It's really trying to see like, what, what, does, that, what does that end game look like for our pipeline? Because at the end of the day, it comes to naught if we can't get access to patients. That's right. That's right. And I think, uh, I think that's 
Arne does a really nice job of always bringing it back to and having the patient be part of every conversation. Mm-hmm. And you can see that in the sessions. You can see that, you know, even in the, the countless conversations that go on in every corner of this building that we're in. So um, I, I agree. I think they do a really good job. And I think there's a um, there's there's just a lot. It's, it's very hopeful, but yet um, hopeful, but uh, realistic. Yes. So. Um, at least that's, that's certainly our take on it for sure. Um, all right, listeners, that wraps up this episode of Selling the podcast with my guest, Estellis' Richard Wilson here at Meeting on the Mesa. Richard, this was wonderful. Thank you for your time and all of your insight. And we hope you have a great rest of the show here while you're at Mesa. Thanks so much, Aaron. I really appreciate the chance to talk. Absolutely. Please visit CellandGene.com for more coverage on ARMS meeting on the Mesa, as well as the Cell and Gene therapy topics you and your colleagues care about the most. And we will talk to you soon.